So for those who are just joining us, I am in the process of building my first software business. It is a small um, software widget that I am trying to sell. And so right now it's invitation only in the Heroku marketplace. So I was sharing this idea I have, and it's a product with a friend of mine, and he brought up an interesting point. And I don't think of what I'm building as a commodity, right? We all want to feel special. But at the end of the day, I am repackaging cloud storage and selling cloud storage. So we were discussing moving to a low, a more low-cost storage provider. And these storage providers claim to have S3 compatible APIs. Of course, like it didn't, it wasn't really compatible. So I'm trying to determine if it's worth my time to sort it out. I mean, these guys are so much cheaper than AWS. And there's two big players in this space right now in the file management space. They can't move to a low, a lower cost storage provider, right? They are like entrenched. But if I do it now, then I can just be cheaper than everyone else. And that can be an advantage, right? Especially in a commodity space. Right. So I, again, like, I don't like to think I'm a commodity, but really it's like cloud storage with a bow on it, right? Like I'm like, here. It's okay to be a commodity. <laughs> it doesn't feel special. We're a commodity. <laughs> I guess you are. Like, there's some businesses that are commodities, and I think it's just knowing what you are and then knowing how to compete in that space, right? And in a commodity business, if you have an operational cost advantage over the competitors, even if those competitors are huge companies, then that can be an advantage that you can build on. Yeah. And I think like these, these um, low cost storage providers, they just released these S3 compatible APIs like last year. So I feel like this is kind of a untapped opportunity is that no one is really, as far as I can tell, no one's wrapping them up and reselling them yet. And they're much cheaper. So AWS, you're looking at point, you're looking at two cents a gig on AWS on this other provider. You're looking at 0.005 cents a gig. Wow. A lot cheaper. Of course, you know, when you don't have a lot of storage, like I don't right now, it's like, oh, it's like $5 versus $3. But if I want to really be a storage provider, like this could be a cool opportunity. And I was thinking about the solutions that are already out there are very, very image heavy. And I had been thinking that way because I approached this problem as an image problem as well. But there seems to be a hole in the market for other file types. Like PDFs and yeah, like, CSVs and stuff? There doesn't seem to be anyone kind of like helping or optimizing for, yeah. I mean, someone, the person I was on a call with wants to host static web pages on it, um, custom 404 pages. So there seems like there might be an interesting hole in this space to handle non-image files and to handle image files at a cheaper price point. Um, I've been kind of thinking as like, I'm like the Southwest of image management, the airline bare bones. I don't resize your images for you. I don't give you user cropping on the front end, but I deliver a simple service with no frills and it's easy to implement. I think that's a good place to start. And you're kind of reminding me of where we started with Geocodio. Uh, even when you said Southwest, you know, my first thought was not airlines, but, um, you know, deserts and, and our, our branding from the beginning was, uh, Geocodio rhymes with rodeo, and we had all of this Southwest-style branding. Um, if you can find a way to be cheaper than everybody else and be easier than everybody else, like that 
worked really, really well for us. And then differentiating into other, other adjacent categories that are neglected by major providers. And the way someone described this to me once, you know, I was like, well, what if, you know, one of the big companies add the, adds this and then we're out of business? If you're doing a business that's $500,000 a year, a million dollars a year, that's not a big enough opportunity for the big companies to go after it. And if there are people in that space who have something they need and they're not satisfied by the option, the current options, and you can build a business that makes a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, that is a great income for a one-person company and not really big enough to, to be a threat to any larger company so that they might go into your space. It can be a good spot to be in. Yeah, that would be an amazing spot to be in. So the only thing, I have a little bit of a psychological block here because I have worked on the technical side of this for quite a while now, and now I have to potentially learn a new API to integrate with these third-party storage providers. And I'm just like, I started doing it yesterday and I was just like, I don't want to, like, I'm tired. So convince me that it's worth it. It's worth it to do now, right? Like I should do it. Well, let's talk about the downsides too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it sounds like your brain is in, in downsides mode. So one of the risks here is uh, a vendor lock-in risk, right? Like if you yeah. are going to switch vendors yes. because they're six times cheaper, if they raise their prices by six times, that creates a lot of risk for you that one of these vendors raising their prices or changing their policies, like you are dependent on another company to make your company happen. Now, there's a lot of people who build their companies off of another company's platform, but you're you're creating substantial risk there. But I have the same risk if I stay on AWS. And I feel like AWS is way more likely to raise their prices because everyone is locked, not everyone, but they have such a lock on people, right? Because they feel more reliable. I was actually looking at the stats. So my first thought was maybe these other cloud storage providers aren't don't have the same kind of uptime AWS does, but they do. People act like AWS has 100% uptime and they don't always. So they just have this reputation because they're the biggest player in this space. But either way, I've got to lock in, right? Like I, I can't, I mean, I can, I'm going to do a probably a mirror service. So I'll, I'll use two storage providers to help. But ultimately, my primary storage provider is going to be a locked in. I think one of the concerns, though, is these companies, I mean, they've been around for a while, like they're not materializing out of thin air. But as I mentioned, they've only had these S3 compatible APIs for like a year. So I'm putting a lot of trust. <laughs> in a company that doesn't have the AWS level reputation. And that's another risk too. Like we get this question sometimes from customers too, right? Cause they're like, why would we go with you over a big company? Like, how do we know you're not just going to shut down tomorrow? Yeah. And when I dive deeper into that question, oftentimes something that's driving that fear is they have, integrated a critical vendor and then that vendor got acquired and was shut down by their acquirer and so we used to feel somewhat sheepish I guess when we got this question and in the last couple of years or so we we found that it's a, an advantage to be a small company and say we're not venture backed we're not trying to exit like this is our livelihood this this is our company we're in this for the long haul. And so 
you know, I would suggest digging into those companies. Like, why have they launched this product? Like, does it, you know, what would you do basically if they shut it down? And just think through that through from the beginning. And then also a way to manage that risk is knowing like this product, it could be a springboard to another product, right? Like if this product gets going, but maybe gets to a point where it makes, let's say, $10,000 after um, a year, you can use that money to then invest in something else if it looks like revenue is declining for this or there's new competitors in the space that you can't compete with and you and um you can always use it as a springboard to something else and just seize the opportunity now it doesn't have to be your forever product yeah that's great advice so i think i will take the time um it might it's frustrating to be so close to like launching something and be like oh it's going to take two more weeks cuz i have to sort this out but I think I will take the time to sort it out now because it's a lot easier to sort out now than to sort it out, you know, a year, six months down the road when I'm storing a lot of data because um, then you have to migrate everything. So I will take the time to sort it out because I think cost is such an easy way to compete. And if I can compete on cost so aggressively, like, as I said, like I'm Southwest Airlines of, of file management, right? Like you don't get any snacks, but it's cheaper. Actually, I think they gave out whiskey to people in their early days. Nuh-uh. Did they really? <laughs> yeah. No, this is, a, this is a real story. Like in order to get people flying on Southwest, I'd like they would something about how they would give them all miniature bottles of whiskey. That's You actually amazing. used to get the perks in the old days. And now it's the big companies you don't get the perks from. Isn't it funny how things change, right? Yeah. The ecosystem has changed. So that's where I am with that. And I wanted to talk about something else too, as we've been talking a lot about marketing and positioning. I feel like, I think my first like marketing thing was, hey, this simple file upload where we do all these things for you. And I listed out all the things I did. And so I've been reading this book, Building a Story Brand, which you recommended to me. Yeah. Yeah. You recommended to me a couple weeks ago and it felt like a light bulb reading this book because my initial, um, what do you call it? Copy? Why do they call it copy? Why don't you just say words? Um, but anyway, my initial copy was simple file upload handles all the heavy lifting of uploading, uploading user files to the cloud, returning a CDN URL for you, easy to integrate with a JavaScript snippet for whenever you need the URL. Okay. That basically makes like me want to throw up in my mouth. Um, So I've been reading this book, Building a Story Brand, and he talks a lot in this book about clarifying your message. He talks about how, like he goes through the components of the story and he defines them as seven components of a story. You have a character, which is your customer, has a problem and meets a guide. And he suggests, or says, suggest is not the right word, My product, instead of being the hero or the character in the story, my product is the guide. My product wants to help the character achieve their goal. So the whole flow is character has a problem and meets a guide who gives them a plan and calls them to action that ends in success. And so I've been thinking a lot about that in terms of like what exactly does my product do to solve your problems? And I read that copy, initial copy I had. And so I've been thinking a lot about that. And really my product, if I had to distill it down, it gives you your time back. 
Like that is what it does. It's time. That is the service I'm providing to you. So he has seven chapters and each week I'd like to go through a chapter or two and tell you kind of like what I got out of, out of that chapter. So the first chapter is, is a character and the principle number one is the customer is the hero, not your brand. And so I've been thinking about that, as I said, and I'm selling all these things. Like I can give you my five point, 10 point bullet list on why my thing is great, but ultimately what I'm giving you is your time. So that was kind of my revelation, um, as I went through the first chapter. I love that. Um, I, I think it would be great to go through it every week if our listeners want to follow along. The book is Building a Story Brand, Clarify Your Message So Customers Will Listen by Donald Miller. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Yes. And so one of the there were a few things that jumped out at me in this chapter one. And one was companies tend to sell solutions to external problems, but customers buy solutions to internal problems. And it just kind of like reading this chapter kind of reframed the way I think about people and reacting with people and what drives people to purchase. So when I first thought, like, what do my customers want? My initial, before reading this chapter, I thought, well, they want an easy way to add files to their website and they want to not worry about AWS and they want to not have to configure their own cloud storage and they don't want to have to figure out how to connect to the cloud storage. But really, like I said, what they want is they want less hassle and more time. So that is kind of my, um, my workshopping for chapter one, and I will report back next week with what I find out in chapter two. And hopefully by the end of going through this book, I will have reframed my very cluttered, challenging to understand message and something that people can actually understand. You going through that just now makes me wonder if there's a way to visualize all of the steps that someone would be going through, almost like a checklist of like, you have to do this, then you have to do that, then you do this, then you do that. And visualizing that and putting down that checklist and instead saying you could do this to manage your images or you could just do this and then it's just your snippet Ooh, right like yeah that's making it really clear idea. and it's because you had all of that sense in your copy but what you really want to get at is stop wasting time on this thing you don't even want to do in the first place that takes up a ton of time People are spending a lot of time on this. And so remind them how much time they're spending on it and then show them that there is an alternative. Be the guide so they can be the hero. That's awesome. Yes. So um, yeah, so this week I'm going to focus on, as I said, I got to do some technical stuff in terms of storage, but I'm also going to keep reading this book and kind of focus on uh, how to reframe my message to show people like what I'm really providing and kind of like uh, tighten down my elevator pitch. Awesome. Yeah. So let's talk about your week. What have you been up to with your business and your life? So last week I sort of mentioned in passing that we have recently moved to Denmark and a couple of people picked up on that um, and were wondering if I could talk a little bit more uh, about what that transition has been like. Okay. Um, so you know, it, it, it's been sort of an interesting thing because we were initially only here temporarily um, or at least that was the idea. Um, but now we're transitioning into staying here full time. And and so there's been a lot of different things that have come up in trying to transition from being a, I guess, a remote in the U.S. company, like, you know, working from home rather than being remote from abroad. Um, and 
and really one of the, the the biggest struggles we've had there, which relates to work something I was working on this week, uh, has been the time zone shift. Are most of your customers in the U.S.? Yes, U.S. and Canada. We do have a small percentage of customers who are outside North America. Um, usually they are companies or, or consultants to companies in the U.S. or Canada. They're working with that data. So, for example, it might be um, you know, development teams in um, Southeast Asia or Eastern Europe pretty often. We, we do have customers in other parts of the world, but they're usually they're all working with U.S. data. Um, and so it's always been that we will get customer support requests pretty much at any hour of the day. You know, the Middle East workday starts on Sunday. And so pretty much Saturdays are really the only quiet day. But that's actually when you have people working on hobby projects, reaching out to us. And pr- pretty much normally from, you know, 7 a.m. to midnight, we're getting stuff and then overnight. Um, but But the shift that's been more difficult is that, you know, the U.S. doesn't wake up until 3 o'clock local time here. And that's also when our daughter is getting out of school. And so one of the nice things is we get tons of focused work time from 8 to 3. We can get so much done and really not have any meetings, any requests coming in, and and it's great. Um, But then the other thing is all of the requests start around 3 o'clock and pretty much don't stop um through the, through the night and that's that's family time that's dinner time that's bedtime and like we can't be working during those hours as well and um and it's definitely been a shift to not um work from 8 a.m to 11 p.m um and, and sort of exhaust ourselves so how do you handle that okay qu- first question is what kind of response time do you think is reasonable and do your clients and customers request of you? So this is a difficult one because I think our own standards for what's reasonable is a lot um, higher than our, than our customers. And, you know, if someone has a critical issue, like, you know, we have alerts that'll wake us up in the middle of the night for, you know, a a database goes down or a server fries or whatever, like those things wake us up in the middle of the night. Thankfully, they don't happen very often. Um, but I think if you look at our intercom stats, it like our actual, you know, median response time is something like under two minutes. Like it's really, really fast. Um, and so part of it has been being more understanding of ourselves and seeing we actually don't need to be responding to things in two minutes most of the time. And the other thing is also what can we do to reduce the amount of tickets? And I I have this this sort of um, guiding belief that every ticket should only happen once, right? Like nobody yeah. really wants to talk to customer support because if you talk to customer support, it means there's a problem, right? Like nobody wants to be standing in the customer service line at Target. Right. You just want it to work. Exactly. You want to not have to end up in their first place. Now, there's a small percentage of people who are, you know, maybe they're they're lonely or, or whatnot, and they enjoy talking to customer support people. Uh, you know, anyone who's ever answered the phone has had frequent flyers and whatnot. Um, thankfully, I don't know why, but we're not really in that situation. I think maybe because of what our business is and, and being in B two B, like people have a problem, they just they just want to get it done. Like, 
I've only had one time when I had someone say, hey, what's up? And I was like, how can I help you? And they're like, oh, I'm just waiting for something to deploy. Like, how are you? I wanted to see if there was a real person here. And I was like, that's funny. All right. Like, cool. What We're going to talk about something like that's the only time that's ever happened. Um, and so so every ticket, we try to take it as a signal that like something needs to be fixed. So whether that's, you know, I geocoded this address and it came back and the result was a mile away from what I expected or, you know, what is the price for this or whatever. Like we, we try to make sure that each issue only comes up once. Uh, and we're not perfect about that, but we, we take those as hints for things to improve. And so this came up this week. Um, we were talking a couple weeks ago about how we launched a HIPAA compliant product, remember? Yes. And how initially it was kind of a kind of a rocky launch because uh, some of our uh, expectations for for that product and our research didn't totally reveal all of the complications with that, primarily how long the sales cycle is. And so because the onboarding process we had built for that was basically all online, you know, assuming there wasn't a lot of stakeholders involved and that didn't match these companies, you know, because you have to talk to procurement, you have to talk to legal, you have to talk to security, like all these things. They can't just go through a online signup process, boom, 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 and get started like they can with the standard product. So instead of having people go through the onboarding and, and get themselves set up, we just had them contact us. We set it so that it would fire off a message to us, a chat message saying, I'd like to get started with Geocodio HIPAA. And the problem is, is this would this would lead to a lot of conversations, but we actually like weren't getting a lot of context from people. Like we weren't getting details on, on what they knew about the product and what their reasons for it were. And if they knew about the pricing model and that we don't have a pay-as-you-go version, all of these things. And so we're having lots of conversations where it turns out that, you know, if we'd had better information on the website, they probably wouldn't have needed to talk to us. So one thing I finally got around to this week was changing that flow a little bit. Um, we would like to eventually redo the onboarding, but uh, what we're doing for now instead is instead of having everything go to an intercom chat to us, I made a page on the website that is, okay, here is how you get started and basically says the path to getting started is as complicated as your company will make it. So... When someone sends an email, I think there's less of an, an immediate reply expectation than there is with online chat. Agree. So we're hoping that when people reach out to us, they're more familiar with not only what the product is and what they can get, but also what they need to ask us for. So we'll see. I just released it yesterday um, and, and completely changed it. So, I mean, all over the website, we had these little intercom prompts that instead of going to a sign-up flow, people would um, be prompted to, to open up Intercom. So we just changed it yesterday. But but that's something I have been wanting to deal with for a long time. And I've been kind of putting it off because I'm like, really, the right way to do this would be to redo the onboarding flow and redo all of my, you know, my... Um, journey mapping and, and and like do a bunch of flow charts, figure out what the real process is, like all of basically these things that you would do from a UX perspective if you were in a bigger company rather than, you know, somebody who's managing 50% of everything that's going on in a business. Um, so sometimes you have to be a little scrappy. So I was like, you know what, having some copy on the website that at least tells people um, what the path forward is. Let's, let's see how that goes. Well, that sounds like a great way to handle it, right? Less requests, more information, 
on your site. So hopefully that'll filter down to less requests, which is less stress for you guys. Yeah. And I mean, like we don't mind replying to stuff at night. Like that's, you know, we started this as a side project. So that's pretty normal to us that, you know, you're sitting in bed at 930 and something comes in and you just deal with it. Like that. that's how we've always been. Um, but really trying to take that perspective of every ticket should only happen once. Like if it's repeating, then then there's a problem. Um, and and I think giving myself permission to put out a solution to that that is not the perfect solution, which would be completely redoing this whole experience. Instead, just having text and see if that is a step in the right direction. Yeah, that makes me think of I have that same um, philosophy with software. If we get an error once and it didn't have test coverage, write a test. So, you know, you run it every time. So that same error never reoccurs. So that seems like a great way to handle it. But, you know, the thing thing I want to bring up here, Michelle, is I feel like, in my opinion, and, and kind of things we've talked about, part of the reason of having your own business is it gives you autonomy. It gives you flexibility. It's supposed to give you some of your time back. And you just said, well, we started this as a side project, so we're used to working at 9.30 at night. It's not a side project anymore. It's a real grown-up business. And it might, I don't know, have you thought about like trying to tackle this in in more grown-up business ways? Like hiring someone? Yeah, of course. That's of course what I'm trying to say. (laughs) I just like, I just can't wrap my brain around why you won't hire someone. I know I keep bringing it up, but... You, our, our episode with Michelle from Squared Away like got us thinking about how awesome it would be to have a virtual assistant. And we're like, oh, my God, if we could have somebody who is, you know, on uh, West Coast time. Right. And they can manage everything starting at, at, at 3 p.m. Like that would be amazing. And, you know, even if it's like, you know, uh, a military spouse, somebody with kids, like it only needs to be like six hours or, so, or something. And then we're like, but the thing is, is because whenever issues come in we fix the underlying problems, all of these simple underlying problems have been solved. So when somebody reaches out for, you know, support or, or sales related, like it's something complicated. It's something that we have to handle ourselves. Right. So you're, you're saying that your requests coming in are all high quality. You're, you're generally thanks to, you know, your diligent work on your site are not getting people saying, how much does this cost or what are my plan options? So even putting a person in front of you, like to, to filter requests, isn't going to buy you a lot because that person is still going to be sending a lot of the requests to through to you guys because they're high quality requests. I get that. Okay. And I have one more thing that I thought of. Have you thought about removing intercom? I mean, I don't get why everyone loves intercom. Yes. It's so oh, annoying. That. As a user, <laughs> well, even as a user, it annoys me, right? Like, like I'm Does like, it? yes. Like I, I, if I, I don't know. As a user, it annoys me because now your situation is different. So if I'm having a real problem, in nine times out of ten, the bot or person on intercom cannot solve it. And nine times out of 10, it's a bot anyway. So then when you do get a real person, it's exciting, but usually it's that first layer person as we just discussed. So they can't help me anyway. I don't know. I just, I'm just not a huge fan. That's all. (laughs) Yeah. We get a lot of surprise from people that were a real person and the founders of the company. Yeah. Um, but I like to think that's part of our, our marketing, you know, our appeal that like, wow, like you get, you know, I've, I've heard people say to us, um, I can't believe I get a real person who can actually do something about your problem. That's true. That's true. That's um, very rare. 
but maybe I mean we're we're providing that level of service for everybody. And you know, I've looked into it and and a lot of companies charge extra for live support or charge extra for support period. But the problem is it's been so great for our growth. Yeah. That we really can't justify not doing it. And especially since how a lot of our sales model works is we it starts out with somebody within a team has to get a project done. They do it for free or very low cost. Maybe they need some help getting started. And then later on, they will upgrade to a later plan or just integrate us and, and use us for, for years on end. And if we deny them support when they're only using it for a low volume, then we might lose them permanently. So I'm, right? not, I'm like, not talking about denying support. I'm talking about email. So it's just a suggestion, like maybe you can just downshift to email, like just don't hide it. Be like, here's our support link. We'll get back to you in 15 hours or 24 hours. It might depressurize some of the the night, especially with you guys being overseas. Like I know you said you don't mind working late at night, but that can't be good for, you know, your work-life balance and mental health. No, it's it's definitely not. Um, I, I Sometimes I wish that we could just have intercom turn off at a certain point in the day. Like it'll say on it what office hours are, but you can't like make the chat go away. And I think the chat experience implies to people that there will be an immediate response. Yes. When in actuality, it's just emailing it to us. Right. Um. We we've thought about that. Um. But I'm 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 wary to take away something that that customers like and has been a positive for our growth as a company. But then, as I've said before, why do we need to grow more? Right. So, okay. So I think, and we are, we're running out of time today, but I think in a future episode, cause this is also what I'm thinking about, we need to talk about the goals, right? Cause like, I feel like where you are in your business, that's kind of where I aspire to be and no offense, but like your lifestyle right now is not really where I aspire to be. I don't want to build a business where I have to work at nine 30 at night. So I am just, I would love to have a future episode kind of about what your goals are and, and your growth goals and, and you know where you want to go, where you guys see see yourself going, and how that fits into your life. Sure, and let's do it in a couple of weeks because my honest answer is that we don't have any goals. <laughs> 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 we just want to keep doing what we're doing as long as we can. And, That's and... amazing. <laughs> no goals, just chilling. We're good. Yeah, th- th- this is the startup podcast with no goals. Nobody's trying to get acquired. We're not going to be on the front page of Wired. Like, we're just going to do our thing as long as we can. Awesome. Awesome. Well, sounds good. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll talk about that again in, in the future. Yeah. Well, that's going to wrap up today's episode of the Software Social Podcast. You can reach us on Twitter at Software Social Pod, and we'd love to hear what you think. Huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show. Chris from Chipper CI, the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains, who has a nice personality, Dave from Recut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of Brightbits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from the Tiny MBA, Rami from Hovercode and Rocket Gems, Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Sentry, Nate Ritter of Roomsteals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outsetta, Justin Jackson, MegaMaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, 
Josh, the annoyingly pragmatic founder, Ben from ConsentKit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nusi Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsi, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Applenet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of Worksighted, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, Larabels, a community for Larabel developers underrepresented due to their gender, Brendan from Feederloop, Pascal from Sharpen.page, Lynn Romick from Konbini, Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm, Jessica Malnick, Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker, Eldon from Nodal Studios, Mitchell Davis from RecruitKit.